Again, we welcome everyone to the bridge. This is the first of our three services this morning, our traditional service, and we're glad that you are here. We've had another tough week in America this week, haven't we? It's tragic. It's really difficult for all of us to process and to deal with. First, the deaths of Philandro Castile and Alton Sterling and the vagueness and all the controversy surrounding those deaths followed by the deaths of the five Dallas police officers and seven under wounded and two civilians wounded. Just horrible, 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 horrible circumstances. We're living in very, very challenging times. And, you know, folks have come up to me and, and, and they've said, Pete, what do we do? How, how should we respond to this? And well, let me just give this word of encouragement to us. Number one, we, we've got to wait and let time take its, its toll and due process take its toll because we don't really understand everything that's going on. And, and I'll tell you, what we hear in the media is not reality. The media broadcasts what's good for the media. And so we, we need to just kind of sit back and we need to let due process take its course. But as believers, here's two things that we can do. Number one, we can pray. We can pray. We can pray that God will bring healing to America, that God will bring wisdom to leaders who can come together and make a difference. And number two, and maybe most importantly, we can love. That's what we're called to do. Two greatest commandments, love God, love others. And we can model that love. We can love each other, no matter what the color of our skin or the origin of our name we can just love each other. We can show the world, as we do at the bridge every single week, that we can love each other, that we can live together, and that we can live to the highest ideals. We can teach our children and our grandchildren to love and to respect, no matter what color of the skin, no matter what origin of the name. I'm going to invite you right now to join me in prayer. And let's pray for all of those who have been affected by these deaths this week, and let's pray that leaders will rise that bring us together instead of dividing us apart. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we love you today. And we come to you with heavy hearts because this has been a tough day in our country. This has been a tough day for all of our people. And Lord, we, we see these tragic deaths and we see this violence that seems to be increasing weekly. It seems like weekly we're going to you. I'm praying about other victims and the families who have been impacted and friends that have been impacted by these deaths. And here we are again today doing that. God, we just pray that, that you will be with all those who are intimately connected with all of these who have died this week and been wounded and been traumatized, even emotionally, without maybe physical injuries. We pray that you will... Lord, protect them and that you will minister to them and bring that peace that only you can bring into their lives. God, we pray that you might raise up leaders who can come together and, and, and talk and have serious discussions and serious dialogues about how we, we can improve this, this challenge and, and these tensions in our culture today. But Lord, help us most of all, we who are your children, we who are Christ's followers, help us to be a light in this dark world. Help us to pave the way, to shine a path of light by our love for one another. Lord, just bless us and use us for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Now, always in the wake of bad news is good news. We just prayed, and you know what? We believe that God answers prayer, don't we? 
Now, I want to show you exactly that this morning. We have in our service today, Catalina Sakara. Catalina is a baby that we prayed for as a church, a baby who was an extreme preemie, a baby that the, the medical profession gave no hope for, and they said even if she possibly could survive, she won't have any kind of quality of life. Well, I want to introduce you to a miracle of prayer this morning, Catalina Sequeira. With mommy, Allison Medina Sequeira, and proud grandpa, Harold Medina. There she is. There is an answer to prayer, and we thank the Lord. And they wanted to be here today because churches across the city were praying for them, and they want to visit every church that prayed for them and say thank you. And that's why they're here today. They want to say thank you to the bridge, and, and you are welcome, and we share in your excitement. We share in your joy, and we can't watch, a, watch a little Catalina grow up and see what God has for her because we know he's got an amazing plan for her. And so we are thrilled that you are here. Then it's also good to have Ron and Donna Jetty back with us today visiting. Where's Ron and Donna? They were here. Uh, you guys stand up. And they were longtime members of the church. And Donna was on staff. And Ron was an elder of the church. And they moved up to the cold, frigid north. But uh, it's always great to see them. They have two of their beautiful grandchildren with them today. And uh, we love you. Great to see you again. Well, today... We're going to go back to a series we did last summer and pick it up called Kids Stuff for Adults. We're going to go back and look at Old Testament Bible characters and, and lessons and, and because we don't spend a lot of time there. In the summertime, I usually don't do a series like we just finished, the Life After Life series, where you've got to kind of be here every week to understand what's going on. In the summertime, I like to do one-week messages because I know you're going on vacation, you want to come back and say, oh, I missed two weeks of it. And so we're going to take standalone messages, and we're going to go back to the Old Testament. Now, you know, a lot of people say, well, what is the relevance of the Old Testament for us today? We spend most of our time as Christians in the New Testament, looking at the Gospels and looking at the, the epistles and the letters of, of, of the disciples and apostles. And we spend most of our time there studying those scriptures. So does that mean that the Old Testament has no relevance for us? Because that, that was before Jesus came, and that's the old days. Or what relevance does it have for us today? Well, Paul says this in the New Testament, writing to the church at Corinth in his first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. For I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. What Paul is saying is to these believers in Corinth, who are Gentiles, by the way, is I don't want you to be ignorant of this. That our forefathers, our Jewish forefathers, they, they all came out of Egypt together. They all passed through the Red Sea. They all ate the manna that God provided them in the wilderness. They all drank the water that came from the rock, which represented Jesus Christ. He said, I want you to know, they were all part of all of that. But then he goes on to say this, nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. So nevertheless, even though they all saw the parting of the Red Sea, they all saw the manna, they all saw the water, they all saw these miracles, for the most part, God was displeased with them. And in fact, he said, their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now he goes on to say something really relevant for me and for you. Here, look what he says. He says, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. He said, all this is there as an example for us. 
so that we don't set our hearts on evil things. He goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for who? For us on whom the fulfillment of the ages have come. In other words, on us who now have Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about the Old Testament, the true life accounts that are in the Old Testament are there for us today to heed to. When we look at these stories, we want to put ourselves there. We want to put ourselves in the story because that's why God has preserved them so that we can learn from the life stories and the mistakes that generations made so that we don't repeat those mistakes. And so the Old Testament has great relevance for us. The Old Testament teaches us many things about the mind of God and gives us the example of many men and women who live lives just like us, some very victoriously, and we should pay attention to put ourselves in those stories because that teaches us how to live victoriously. But also we need to put ourselves in the lives of those who had major failures so that we can see what caused them to have those failures so we can avoid those failures in our lives. So that's what we're going to kind of be doing over the next several weeks as we continue through the summer. We're going to be looking at some of these great Old Testament Bible characters and some of these great Old Testament Bible stories so that we can heed knowledge from them, so that we can put ourselves there and see how those stories relate to our story today. Now, when we ended this series last summer, we ended with the story of the Exodus. After 400 years of captivity in Egypt, Moses triumphantly led the children of Israel out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, on the way to the promised land that is described to them as a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says something that's really interesting that we, we should heed to. It says this, These are the words of Moses spoke to all Israel in the desert east of the Jordan, that is, in the Arabah, opposite Suf between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. Now, isn't that fascinating? It's a little humor there. I know you're looking at me and go, what? What? What are you talking about? All right, so let me set the background. All right, now, now Israel is getting ready now to go into the promised land. They're getting ready to cross the Jordan. They're getting ready to go into the land that God promised to Abram and to Isaac and to Jacob. They're getting ready to actually do it now. But he goes on to say this. This is where they're at. This is what the land looks like. They're out in the middle of nowhere. They're in the desert. And he goes on to say, verse 2, Deuteronomy chapter 1, it takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded concerning them. So now he's getting them ready. He's giving them a pep talk to go into the land. But what we want to note is what he says in the parenthesis. He says, it takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea. Now, Horeb is the place, and many believe it's the same mount as Mount Sinai, that they would have first gathered at after crossing the Red Sea. So basically, here, here's what Moses is saying. He's saying that after leaving Egypt, it took Israel 40 years to make an 11-day journey. 40 years to make an 11-day journey. That's what he's reminding. 
He said, it's an 11-day journey when we cross the Red Sea to get into the promised land. But now, 40 years later, we're getting to do it. What the heck happened? How in the world could they turn an 11-day journey into a 40-year wilderness wandering? Now, before I answer that question, we got to remember that since Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abraham to be the head of a a great nation, and God said, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless them that bless you, and I'm going to curse those and curse you, and I'm going to give you all this land. God's intent all along had been to what? Bless Israel. That's his intent. That's his passion. That's his plan. In fact, Deuteronomy 7, 6 says, He says to Israel, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. He says to them, I've chosen you out of all the people on planet earth I could have chosen. I've chosen you, and I've chosen you to be my treasured possession. And he had just proved that in the Exodus. All the, the, the plagues that he brought on Egypt to finally let them release. And when they, they left, remember, not only did they leave and they finally let them go, but they plundered the Egyptians. The Egyptians gave them sold and our gold and silk and silver and all and food and all. Just please leave us now. And then they parted the Red Sea and they went into the, all these miracles. God had just proved to them that he was true to his word and that they truly were his treasured possession. So what happened? How come... It took them 40 years to go on an 11-day journey. Well, we got to back up now to Numbers chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, to understand what happened, why it took them 40 years to make an 11-day journey. In Numbers 13, verse 1, Moses says now, this is 40 years before the other passage in Deuteronomy we just looked at. And this is the first time they get there. And Moses says to him, all right, it's time. We're going to go into the promised land. We've left Egypt. We're ready to go. And he says, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to send some men to explore the land of Canaan. Twelve, one member from each tribe. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them all out from the desert of Paran, that area that we looked at. Now, notice it says all of them were leaders of the Israelites. These were the chosen. These were the leaders. These were the VIPs of each tribe. And he sends them to go scout out the land. Numbers 13.25 says, at the end of 40 days, they come back. They're out there for 40 days. These 12 representatives, these 12 leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel, and in the Bibles, they're going to call them the 12 spies of Israel. They went in to spy the land, to see what the land was like, to see who was living there, to see how fortified the cities were, all that kind of thing. And, and so they come back then, and they reported to the whole assembly what they found out over the 40 days on this mission. In verse 27 in Numbers 13, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. They came back and they were like so stoked. They said, you you won't believe this land. It really does flow with milk and honey. And to prove it, they showed some of the grapes. And the stocks of grapes were so big, they had to tie a stock to a pole and two men had to carry them back. That's how big and luscious the grape was. And then they showed them other fruits. And they said, you're not going to, this land really is. It's really what God said. 
Remember, they're living out in that desert area now. There really is a land flowing with milk and honey. This is amazing. But, they go on to say, the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live in the sea and along the Jordan. They said, Caleb then came up and he says, yeah, 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 we saw that. Caleb was one of the 12. And he says, but we should go up and take possession of the land for we certainly can do it. So we can do it. Yeah, they, the Hittites live there and yeah, the Anak live there and all these people. But listen, we can take them. We can be victorious. But the other 10 said, but the men had gone up with them and said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. We can't do that. We can't go in there. That night, Numbers 14, verse 1, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Now, I want you to get this picture. They get this report, and at first they were so excited. Oh, the land of... And then, but we can't take him. We can't go in there. It's too strong. It's too powerful. There's no way we can possess the land. Now, all of the people are grumbling and moaning. Now, understand, Bible scholars estimate that that number is 2.5 million people. Can you imagine what that night was like? The groaning and the moaning and the wails and the crying going from 2.5 million people. They were all grumbling against Moses. They said this, if only we had died in Egypt. They said, or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us up to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Those people, the Amalekites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, they're going to kill us. They're going to wipe us out. Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a new leader. We should just go back to Egypt. Yeah, we're slaves. But at least we won't get killed by the sword there. And so they grumble and they complain. Now, Joshua and Caleb, two of the 12 spies that went into the land, they, they come back and they tore their clothes in sadness while all this is going on. And they said to the people, they said, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. It is milk and honey. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. He said, we can do it. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we'll swallow them up. We'll take it. We can conquer them. He goes on to say, their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us he says, listen, listen, folks. He said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of them. God is with us, not them. We can take them. But it says the whole assembly talked about stoning them. That was their response to, to, to Caleb and, and, and to, to Joshua. That we're going to stone them. We're going to kill them. Numbers 14.10 says, then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. In the midst of all that, God shows up. And look out now. Look what happens. Numbers 14, 11. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Moses, how long are these people going to respond to me that way? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs I performed among them? 
How long? I brought them out of Egypt. I plundered the Egyptians. The death angel came over and their firstborn was spared. I, I took them across and even those Pharaoh's armies chased them across the desert to the Red Sea and they were back with the Red Sea. I parted the Red Sea. They went across on dry ground. Pharaoh chased them and they all drowned. I took them over and I've done miracle after miracle after miracle. How long will these people have contempt for me? He said, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. But I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. At first, God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to kill them all. I'm just going to strike every one of them down with a plague. I'll kill every one of them. And I'll start a whole new nation through you, Moses, and through Caleb and Joshua and your families. But then Moses and Aaron beseech the Lord and say, no, don't do that. Because if you do that, the word's going to get out to the Egyptians and everything's going to go bad. And your name will be dishonored by them. Don't do that. And so God then says, okay, I'm not going to do it, but here's what I am going to do. Not one of that adult generation who are alive right now, who did not believe, who would not listen to the voice of Joshua and Caleb and go into the land, not one of them will enter that land. And by the way, as it later turned out, not even Moses did, but for a whole different reason. He said, not one of them. And so that's why it took 40 years for the Israelites to finally make and finish that 11-day journey. If they had listened to the Lord, they'd have been in the land on day 12. But because they rebelled against God, they spent the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Wander. That word means to move about without a definite destination or purpose. They had no destination. As we look at their their life during that 40 years, they'd go from here, and then they'd go over here, and then they'd go over here, and then they'd come back here, and then they'd go back over there. They were just wandering around. They had no destination. They didn't know where they were going. And they had no purpose because God had put a curse on that generation until that generation died out. There was nothing new going to happen. Well, remember we said that when we look at Old Testament stories, that those stories are there for us to heed. And when we talk about and study these stories and these people, we need to put ourselves there. We we need to take those events that happened thousands and thousands of years ago and bridge them to our lives here in the 21st century. How many of us or people that we know or you know have pretty much spent an entire lifetime just kind of wandering around. No destination, no purpose, just kind of existing from day to day to day. How many people do you know like that? Or maybe that describes you. You have no real destination in life. You really don't have any self-identified purpose for your life. You're just kind of wandering. How do we get ourselves into that way of thinking? How how does that happen? Where did we make a wrong turn when that happens? Now, this can happen in a lot of different areas of our life, but since we're here to worship the Lord and we're here to learn from God's Word to feed our spiritual person, 
Let's look at it from how do we get as Christ's followers, people who have been saved by Jesus Christ, who shed his blood on the cross to redeem us, to set us free, as Galatians 5.1 says, how do we end up still just kind of wandering through our Christian journey, our Christian life, without destination and without purpose? How does that happen? Put yourself now in their story. How does it happen? Well, it starts with blunted faith. Not a lack of faith. It starts with a blunted faith. What what Moses say in the beginning? He said, they all came across the Red Sea. They all ate the miracle of food. They all ate, drank from the, from the rock. They all experienced that. It's not that they had no faith. It's not that they were godless. They had a blunted faith. It wasn't a powerful faith. It wasn't a practical faith. It wasn't an applicable faith. Remember, God said him in Deuteronomy 7, 6, he said, I've chosen you out of all the people on the earth. You're my treasured possession. God said that to them over and over again. You're my chosen people. You are my treasure. I'm going to do my will for mankind through you. Anyone who blesses you, I'm going to bless. Anyone who curses you, I'm going to curse. I mean, how much more secure, how much greater of a promise could God give anyone than God gave them? But you know what? They didn't own it. It became an intellectual idea. It became a religious ritual. But it didn't move their life. They didn't apply it to their lives. Furthermore, this whole thing, where they went off and caused them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, when God sent those spies into the land, in Numbers 13.1, said, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, read it with me, which I am giving to the Israelites. He didn't send them in there to come back and debate or not whether they were going. Right from the beginning, he says to Moses, and undoubtedly Moses passed this on to the people. Here's what God just told me. God said, we need to go and scout out the land and, and see the fruit of the land and see the geography of the land and, and see who the people are and see what the cities look like because God's going to give it to us. God just said, go on because I'm giving it to you. So you go on a scout mission, come back and, and see that it really is a land flowing with milk and honey and see that we can take this place because God already said, I'm giving it to you. But see, they had a blunted faith and they didn't trust God. They didn't believe God. Because they didn't have a faith that is characterized by an intimate relationship with God. God became some kind of a mystical being out there in the universe. You know what God says of you today? If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know what God says about you? Peter recorded it in his first New Testament letter that we call 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Here's what God says about you. You've trusted your Christ. If you trust the Christ your Savior, raise your hand right now. You've trusted Christ your Savior. All right, he's talking to you, okay? He says, you are now a chosen people. A royal priesthood. A people belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. You know what God's saying to you right now? 
You're my chosen people. You're my treasure. You are the ones now that I have called out of darkness, out of wandering around. I have given you now a destination. I have now given you a purpose for living, and that purpose is to bring praise and glory to me so that others, through the way you live life and through following you on your journey to the destination I have called you, will follow you and find me. See, God wants to bless the whole world through you. That's what he's saying. God says, I want to bless the whole world through you. Hebrews 6.10 says, if we'll do that, if we'll exercise not a blunted faith, but a practical, applicable faith, an energetic faith, he says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. He says, you go out there and you live that purposeful life that I've given you to declare my praises, to declare my glory to all people. He says, I won't forget every moment. I won't forget every act that you did. I won't forget every chair that you set up or tore down. I won't forget every diaper that you changed in the nursery. I won't forget every door and handshake that you welcome someone to the bridge on. I won't forget anything that ever you do in my name. Anytime you talk to somebody at work, anytime you pray in grace over your meal before you eat, any of those things, he says, I won't forget one of them because they all bring glory to me. Revelation 22, 12, we've looked at it many times in our Life After Life series that we just finished. Jesus said, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he's done. And that's not a threat. That's a positive promise. He said, I haven't forgot anything you'll do. If you'll live this practical life, I'm going to bless you beyond your wildest imagination. Are you a blessing to others. Right now, let's take a little, a little evaluation of where we're at in this Christian journey. Is your life characterized by being a blessing to others? Do you look for ways to be blessings to others? See, because that's our purpose. Our destination is heaven. Our destination is eternal life. Our destination is to live with God forever in the eternal kingdom. Our destination is the judgment seat of Christ where we'll receive our eternal rewards. But before we get there, the purpose we're living now is to be a blessing to other people. So right now, ask yourself, how much of a blessing am I to my family? How much of a blessing am I to my work coworkers? How much of a blessing am I to my neighbors? How much of a blessing am I to people, strangers who I just meet? How much of a word of encouragement do I carry? How am I characterized when others see me? It all starts with a blunted faith. When we, like Israel, say, you know, uh, 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 that's not me. I'm not special. Uh, that, that, that's not me. That's not my purpose. Yes, it is. And if you will live it, if you will own it, God will bless it. It starts with that blunted faith. Not a lack of faith. If you didn't have any faith at all, you wouldn't be here right now. So it's not a lack of faith, it's a blunted faith. It's a faith that's not doing anything. It's a faith that's not going anywhere. Now, blunted faith yields to a negative attitude. That's what's going to happen. If we live a blunted faith, then you can mark it down, our attitude is going to spiral down. 
Numbers 13.30. Then Caleb silenced the people. And he said, no, no, don't talk that way. Don't listen to them. We can do it. We can go in. We can take these people. We can be victorious. They come back and say, no, we can't. No, we can't. Oh, don't listen to him. Don't listen to Caleb. They're stronger than we are. We can't beat those people. Blooded faith causes us to see the trials of our life as stronger than us. So we have that blunted faith. When we forget that God has made us his chosen people, when we forget that we're his treasured possession, when we forget that he has a purpose and a destination for us, when we forget that he's at the center of our life and that he's in control of everything that happens in our life, then when trials come, and they're going to come to every one of us, because we have a blunted faith and we forget who we are in Christ, we begin to embrace a negative attitude. We say, oh, I can't do this. I can't, I can't, I can't resist this temptation. I can't go through this trial. I can't handle this relationship. I can't, I can't, I can't. And all of a sudden, more and more, we hear ourselves either saying or thinking or our life is characterized by I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Remember, Trials are going to come. I'm going to have bad times. You're going to have bad times. We're all going to have challenging times in our lives. But they're there for a purpose. It's part of our journey. It's part of our destination. It's part of our rewards. As Peter says in 1 Peter 1, verses 6 through 7, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. How many going through any trials right now? Anybody going through some trials? Yeah, he said, well, don't be surprised by that because that's that's what's going to be characterized during this part of the journey. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may prove genuine and result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. He said, here's what it is. Right now, these trials are coming. And I'm sending them, I'm allowing them to happen so that your faith can be proved genuine to you and to others who know that you claim to be a child of God. So that when you get to heaven and you stand before Jesus Christ and Jesus is passing out all those rewards, you'll be ready to receive the rewards. You'll be glorified then. He says, but right now, this little while, that little while is 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, maybe 100, like our sister Green back there. But it's a short time when we think of eternity. He says, so right now, you're going you're to have some tough times, but there's purpose in that. James tells more about that purpose. James chapter 1, verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. In fact, when those trials come, they'll be, oh, oh, this is terrible. I can't do it. I can't. I can't. He says, wow, here's another opportunity. That's what he's saying. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Not lacking anything for what? For your arrival in heaven. For your arrival before the king of kings. See, God's passion is to get you to the ultimate destination, to help you cross the finish line in such a way that you are victorious. That's his plan. That's his purpose for you. 2 Corinthians 1, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and of God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our trouble so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. 
Another reason God allows us to go through trials of all kinds, of various kinds. It's not only to build our faith and build our character, but it's also so that when we successfully go through those, God can use us to go to people who are experiencing those trials and comfort them with the comfort God comforted us when we went through that trial. And so whatever trial you've been through, whether it's a health trial, whether it's a vocational trial, financial trial, a relational trial, whatever trials you have been through, God has used those to give you an arsenal of comfort that you can give to other people going through those trials. That's what our wellness program here at the Bridge is all about. Our wellness class is grief share and divorce care and all these other, other wellness programs that we're developing. They're all so that we who have suffered trials can come together and encourage others as they go through that trial. And we can tell them about our God's experience, our God's story, how God comforted us. Why? Because we didn't exercise blunted faith that leads to a negative attitude of I can't, I can't, I can't. And we said, God, through you, I can. And now we can help those. See, that blunted faith, that yields a negative attitude. And a negative attitude gives birth to a distorted reality. You can just kind of see the the negative progression, the downward spiral, can't you? Blunted faith, not a lack of faith, just a blunted faith. Causes a negative attitude, I can't, I can't, I can't. And pretty soon, we have a distorted reality. We're looking at things the opposite way they really are. Numbers 13, verse 32. After they had given that report, and those 10 spies says, we can't, they're stronger than us. Look what happens. It says, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They didn't just let it sit there. They went back and they said, oh, you know, we can't do it. And they, they went back and they elaborated on the story. And, you know, whenever we elaborate on a negative story, what happens? It gets distorted, doesn't it? They go back and they said, all the land we explore devours those who are living in it. All the people we saw, they're of giants. They're all huge people. We, we, we saw the Nephilim there. Remember the Nephilim? or believed in the Bible, to be that unholy offspring between the fallen angels and, and the women of earth that created God's anger to send the flood and destroy mankind except for Noah and his family that we talked about in a series many, many, many times ago. Back in, in this series, in fact, when we took it the book of Genesis last summer. They all perished in the flood. They weren't even alive. We saw them. No, they didn't. They were all dead. We saw the giants. We saw the Nephilim. He says, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and look the same to them. We were like these little, these were big, strong people. They were all, and they looked at us and said, well, who are these puny people? When in fact, Scripture reveals later that when they actually went into the land and they went up against Jericho and, and the spies went now to Rahab, Rahab said, we're shaking in our shoes. We're scared to death. We've heard about what God did in Egypt with you people. We're scared. They were petrified over the Israelites. And the Israelites distorted the whole thing because they had a blunted faith, which yielded a negative attitude. And then they began, oh, we're the weaklings. No, Caleb and Joshua were right. The Lord was with them, not with those people. God was about to deliver those people to them. And the people there were scared to death of the Israelites. See, blunted faith distorts our vision and our thinking. And I will say this, it especially distorts our thinking about our relationship with God. It really does. Instead of seeing God as one who wants to bless us because we're his chosen people, we're a royal priesthood. Instead of seeing God that way, we, because of our blunted faith, produces a negative attitude, we begin to think of God and view God as somebody who wants to punish us. 
They say, oh, no, I don't. Oh, don't you? Something goes wrong. Oh, God, what did I do? Oh, God, I know that I shouldn't have done that. I know, oh, God, I know. See, we start thinking, we come to believe that God has it in for us and that our trials are evidence of him getting even with us. Yeah, you've been sinning, you've been doing that over again? Well, well yeah, now, now I got you. No, now, now, this is God getting even with me, see? We start distorting the thinking. God's promise, his, his, his passion is to bless us. But our blunted faith causes a negative attitude, which causes us to begin stinking thinking about the whole thing. See, instead of seeing ourselves as God's prized creation, we see ourselves as weak. We see ourselves as hopeless. We see ourselves as defeated. And that's where some of us are living this morning. That's where some of us are right now. There's no joy in our relationship with God. There's no expectation in our relationship with God. We're down emotionally and spiritually. We've spiraled down. And we think that God has no purpose for us and God has no plan for us and God hates us and, and we're, we can't succeed and we can't resist and, and we're just weak and we're hopeless and we're defeated. But look what God says of you. First John 4, 4. You, dear children, are from God and have her overcome that. You've overcome all that stuff that everyone else deals with because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You aren't meant to lose. Say this with me. I am not meant to lose. Say it again. I am not meant to lose. You're not meant to lose. Paul says in Romans 8.37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul says, in all this stuff that we wrestle with, and right before that in chapter 7, Paul is even saying, oh, the things I don't want to do, the things I always seem to do, and the things I want to do, I don't ever seem to be doing. He's living right where we live. But yet then he says, but Jesus Christ is greater than we are. Jesus Christ is greater than our blunted faith. Jesus Christ is greater than our negative attitudes. Jesus Christ is greater than our distorted thinking. In fact, he has made us conquerors over all this stuff that tries to attack us, even Satan who tries to tempt us. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all time, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You will fulfill your purpose. You will finish your destination. You will be victorious. You're meant to win. Say, I'm meant to win. I'm meant to win. Now that's the truth. That's the biblical reality of who you are and who God has created you to be. That's the reality of your purpose. That's the reality of your destination. You are meant to win, not to lose. Today, Make a decision to get rid of that blunted faith. Don't see yourself as, as someone who's hopeless and helpless. And God. You see yourself as God has made you through your faith in Jesus Christ. You are a powerful spirit being. And God will use you in powerful ways. Get rid of that negative attitude. I can't, I can't, I can't. Get rid of that distorted thinking that God doesn't love you and God's trying to punish you and God's trying to get even with you. It's all a lie from the depth of hell. It's all a lie from Satan. That's not God telling you that. God has a purpose and a passion. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Say that with me. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Say it again. I can do 
Now say it like you mean it. I can do. And you really can. It's not religion. It's reality. You can do it. The trials are going to come. Don't be surprised by that. When they come, say, okay, here's another chance for me to get stronger. Here's another chance to see what God's going to do. Here's another chance to see how God is greater than my circumstances. Here's another chance for me now to receive the comfort of God so that someday I can comfort other people with the comfort that he's going to give me right now through this trial. Get rid of that blunted faith. Get rid of that negative attitude. Get rid of that distorted thinking. How do you do it? You pray. You serve. You stay in God's word. I tell you, if your life is characterized right now by that blunted faith and and negative attitude and distorted reality, you should run after the service to the east patio on the outside and go to the next step booth and get yourself in a life group. Get yourself serving in a ministry. Get yourself surrounded by believers who together we can encourage and we can remind each other that we are not meant to lose. We are meant to win. You can do it. Now, notice what it says, though. Through him who gives me strength. See, we've got to stay connected to him. Prayer, Bible study, devotions, service, sacrifice, giving. We've got to stay connected to him. I want to end, but, but as I end, I, I, I've got to share this. Because if you're not connected, you don't have the power that we've talked about today. Because he who is in us, who's greater than he is in the world, isn't in you yet. See, because that is a resource that God gives to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. The most quoted verse in all the Bible goes this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. Have you ever done that? Or are you like the vast majority of the population on planet Earth? Are you hoping that somehow you're living just a good enough life that when you stand before God, he's going to say, okay, you did a pretty good job. I'm going to let you into heaven. Never going to happen. In fact, Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You cannot work your way to heaven. You can only pray your way. You can only have faith your way to heaven in Jesus Christ. You can only believe on the name of the Son of God. Let's bow our heads. Maybe you're here today and you're not connected. You've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're not really sure where you're going to spend eternity. You want to spend it in heaven. You want to spend it with God. But right now, the Spirit of God is bearing witness with your spirit that you're not ready. You've never trusted Christ. You've never believed on the name of the Son of God. Well, here's the great news. God brought you here today to give you exactly that opportunity right now. Every head bowed, no one looking around. If I'm speaking to you right now, and God is speaking to you about this, I won't embarrass you in any way, I promise you. Would you just raise your hand right now and say, Pastor Pete, you're talking to me right now. I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. I've never trusted him as my Savior. Father, I pray that anyone here who has not trusted you will do it right now through a simple prayer of faith that confesses their sin 
and declares with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the only way, and believing in their heart that God raised him from the dead. That's all you say that we have to do. And anyone who does those things confesses Jesus is the only way, and God raised Jesus from the dead. Your scripture says that man, that woman will be saved. Lord, help us now, the vast majority of here who are believers, if not everybody, help us to resist that blunted faith that might characterize our life right now, that negative attitude, that distorted reality. Lord, help us to, through you, realize once again that we can take on this life no matter what it throws at us. Because greater is he who lives in us than he who lives in the world. We give you the glory for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.